0: This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay talk with Chris Wise of Owl and Ace Freely's band.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 235 of season five and um we are joined by a special guest this is a uh a different approach for our show jay usually we're talking to people who you know they had a band in the 90s and then they went away and um now they're doing something else but we're actually talking to someone who's actually currently still in a band and not <laughs> what, what I know, it's we crazy. To what happens? Bands <laughs> oh, that's true. We we have talked to a few people that were currently in bands, but no, uh, you know, previously, a lot of the interviews we've done have been, uh, the band's either been a, apart for a while or they're just getting back together. But, uh, joining us for this episode, uh, a man with a very long and interesting career in music, um, Chris Wise. Is that I said that right? That's right, Wise. Yes, yes, hi. Okay.
2: How's it going, Timothy and Jason? Very, very good.
1: Yeah. So, Chris, your career in music goes back into the 90s, but you're currently in a band called Owl. Can you tell people, um, give a little people a little bit of history on the band Owl that you're currently in?
2: Well, uh, it all started because really I've always had been my own singer-songwriter on the bass, and I featured a lot of different kind of bass stuff, so... In a nutshell, really, uh, it was there. There was no band that really had upright bass with the bow and different effects, and the, you know, there was no outlet for it. And uh, I'll take a solo, you know, once in a while. Um, I do a lot of different sort of techniques and things. And, and once again, I'm a I'm a singer. I'm a lead singer. I'm a songwriter. So I had all this material and stuff, and I knew it was the only way. You know, I had to create something to have this kind of band uh... and i like the idea of a trio so i got my uh... got together with my drummer from long ago uh, when we met in high school dan dinsmore uh... who understands what's going on with me musically and um, <clears throat> having that kind of history together too, being in bands and when dan and i met we had, we really hit it off uh... My, my parents had a drum kit and they allowed us kids to have the drum kit and the amps and everything downstairs and Dan came over and we just improvised and we knew from that moment I was like 16 and uh so you know it was like an instant connection so that's why I thought of Dan and then he was up for it and uh, Jason had been coming out seeing early versions of Owl in Hollywood because that's where I'd moved then from New York so uh, I got like kind of a, a following going but didn't really have a steady lineup so this is uh This is like a genuine band that's been going on since 2007. It's our third release coming up, July 28th, and uh, I would say it's a kind of daring alternative rock, hard rock. You know, um, it's a lot of different elements. You know, that we play with. It's a little bit no rules style hard rock. You know, we'll definitely experiment and do things. and that's the sound of the band and i get to sing and play the bass and all this kind of stuff the way that uh i envisioned it for my band and uh you know we're really happy about this new release we're getting a lot of great feedback you know number three already which is kind of crazy
0: how long has the band been together
2: since 2007 okay and i've also had uh early versions of it and so on but this really is when the band came together and we we uh recorded over at Matt Sorum's studio from uh, Guns and Velvet Revolver and he was in the cult at one point so that's how we met and he just kind of encouraged me to record the first album he was like he he cut me a great deal, Velvet Revolver was already there so that's going back a little bit and then second record um, came out in 2013 and we got featured in Rolling Stone and uh, we also got featured in Revolver and like countless interviews were coming in and stuff so uh, we got a very good response to that after the first record was well-received. Um, some people, you know, kind of criticized us for for the things we did. And uh, funny enough, you know, no one's really doing what we're doing. So I, I think, you know, that, that was over very quickly, you know. And we've had nothing but amazing press. So this third release really came into our own and we experimented even more and got to become more who we were and uh, this is called Things You Can't See and uh, it gets pretty dark and heavy and it's also very uplifting at the same time with a lot of great emotional content and musical content and I think like anybody can listen to Owl and get something out of it. It's, It's like we don't live in heavy metal and we don't live in a ballad and we don't you know, I scream sometimes, but it's more almost like I would relate it to hardcore meets Pink Floyd or something. It's not, mm. we're not a metal band per se, although we could fit on a metal lineup. And we could, uh, we could also fit with the Foo Fighters, you know. Um, we could also fit with Queens of the Stone Age. We're a rock band, definitely. You know, we're from the old school.
1: So as far as. Uh, songwriting goes, do you primarily write on bass, or do you guys sort of jam on ideas as a group? How does that work?
2: Just a little of both. I usually am the seed planner, and um, you know, we'll let things develop. The first record I had very much written already, Uh, second record maybe a little less, and now this third record is really just a bunch of uh, raw ideas that I had to begin with. And everything developed in the studio, which was kind of a little scary, <laughs> and a little, you know, a little more interesting in some ways because it turned into something we didn't predict. You know, because you could hear the song, songs I had before. Uh, you could hear the demos, and you kind of heard the song, even though I think we improved greatly on them. And then the second record, you know, a little of the same, but this one there was no demos at all. It was literally just, wow, that's really cool. Let's work on it.
1: Hmm. Do you primarily stick with one instrument for songwriting? Like we've talked to say guitar players and if they pick up a certain acoustic, it, it they tend to write in a certain style or if they pick up a, a 12 string or, or, you know, that sort of thing. Do you have particular bases or do you tend to stick to one base for songwriting and playing?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, usually it's a P bass through an amp, you know, uh, and I can do an awful lot with just that. So, cause I do all kinds of two tapping and, um, oh, you know, just kinds of effects and loops and all kinds of things I can just create with, with that right there. So that's kind of a wide open playing field. It's a great way to kind of sketch and do everything I do. But if I'm on the acoustic upright, it feels different, man. And it can make you think different. So, uh, I, I use everything and, and. Uh, maybe have an idea that I'd start with the upright bass for example like oh I hear this cool riff in my head now if I sang this over it That's gonna be great, and then we go work on it from that point, you know And it's about this girl or it's about this you know story about a You know a ghost in a building or you know, whatever it is we, we I think conceptually. I, I don't just sit around and jam It's usually gotcha. for it's for a reason you gotcha know? So, yeah, and I'll often be like, I hear this thing in my head with bow and piano, and but it, it somehow fits into like a hard rock realm still, you know, like into the... Um, we're a lot more progressive and, and musically really, really, you know, dangerous, so to speak, you know, than a lot of bands, but um, it's a very challenging set that we do when we play this kind of stuff live. I mean, my hands are still kind of blistered up and Beat up because I do it without abandon. You know, it's just it's it's a very emotional kind of band, you know. And I go back with Dan thirty years, so it's like the, the dinner table banter is much like being home with your parents. You can kick into the same old arguments and everything. Funny enough, you know, it, it fires up our set pretty good. We get pissed off at each other and then take it out in the music, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and usually people are blown away because we're playing, which that's <laughs> jest. But no, we do get we do get along quite well too because you know we uh, we work hard together, and you can hear on this uh, new record I think, and it's a lot to take in for people just finding out about us. You know, I'm like, wow, I can't imagine just finding out about Owl. We have this 14-song in-depth record that already came out in 2009, another record that came out in 2013 called The Right Thing, which. Like, you know, I had a song with Bagpipes about my trip to Ireland as a boy on that record. We were, we, were, we were, and we did Destroyer from the Kinks as a cover. So we got a little more playful on that record. And now this owl that's now Things You Can't See is very much so a statement. Like, okay, you've got a taste of this and that, but we've really come into our own. And, uh, you know, without, you know, stroking myself or whatever here, but the, I will say I feel there's a strong need for this kind of music out there right now. Uh, it's especially now and you know what I'm talking about with even but not even bringing up one artist you know what I'm talking about there needs to be real artistry again and people that with some balls that are going to try some stuff you know and really if you go back to Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Kiss, Ozzy you know um you'll see that they, they were downright frightening for the time people were almost scared that like of the whole thing you know and um, I, I'm not saying you got to be scared. I'm just trying to say that you know, you, you, there's no statement anymore except for I'm a grand big, you know, I'm so great, I'm a big rock star, I got all the money, or I'm so sexual, you know, which is just it, 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 there's a ceiling on that kind of mentality, and there's nothing mystical or fantastical about it. It's just just gross. It just gets mm. stupid. We all like money, sex, drugs, you know, blah, blah, blah to a certain degree. I mean, people like their coffee. You know, it's just, it's a boring story at the end of the day. That's all I'm saying. You know, I'm not trying to take the fun out of rock and roll. I love it, but you need artistry again. And a lot of people ask me, like, what are you playing? Is that a cello? And I'll tell you straight out, that always pisses me off, you know, because I'm playing upright bass and there's a difference. And if, if we don't put in our school system again, Knowing the four strings, the basic four strings of the string family, but we know all this bullshit hip hop. Uh, And I'm not saying I don't like hip hop. I'm just saying, like, we got to have a balance. You know, there's too much American football uh, with knuckleheads getting graduated through school that don't know anything. And it's just like we need to get a little more sophisticated in America, you know, and I'd like to kick it in the ass a bit.
0: Can you go back to when you fell, you're sort of alluding to it, but when you fell in love with music, what bands really made you, you know, take notice and sort of set you on this path?
2: Well, there's like my two that's kind of part of my story, which is when I was a kid, I saw Kiss and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I was just, you know, the, I was in awe of the superhero rock star, you know, where did you see him? Well, by the time I finally saw KISS live, you know, I was a little bit older. My parents were quite keen on me going to a big rock show because I was like eight years old. (laughs) So it took me a little time. Um, My first big concert that I saw was Iron Maiden, uh, Peace of Mind. And I remember that being really blowing my mind. And I just fell in love with the bass. But I would say KISS was my... spark where i was like oh that's what i want to do i mean you know it's ironic that i'm with ace you know and in this band but um and iron maiden just made me kind of discover what instrument i wanted you know so like from there i I really fell in love with all kinds of stuff but it had to be daring it had to be a little crazy it had to be a little mystical sounding and one of the voices that captured me was jim morrison when i was a kid really Mm mm-hmm yeah, definitely.
0: We actually haven't heard a lot of people mention The Doors as an influence or a band they got into. What was it about him? When what age were you that you, you noticed them?
2: Right before I picked up the bass, and I was really just constantly listening to music, and like uh, everyone would be watching TV, and I'd go do my own thing with my Walkman <laughs> at the time and listen to radio shows and live concerts a lot. And I remember hearing uh, Absolutely Live where Jim... Screams at the beginning of the show and Mm. the way he had like this wild man Persona was very very uncontained and like you just you could hear it and I I don't think anyone can sing like that. I've never heard anyone do it, you know, Mm. I mean like Ian did great and uh, Other people can sing pretty well like you know to pull off the songs, but he just had that wild spirit, man you know where you just really felt like anything could happen it was kind of it was kind of dangerous you know
0: yeah i was just thinking that you mentioned about um those bands having a sense of danger or people were afraid of them or it was very much like that i, I wonder if is that something that you think that we can ever get back to because you mentioned kiss we've heard kiss a lot i'm, I'm a big kiss fan mm-hmm. at that time really you never saw them like because they weren't on TV until the later seventies, everything you saw were were pictures. Kinda I mean, in your mind you had to figure out like what this was about, you know, and it was a yeah, lot more mysterious and dangerous than than yeah. actually seeing them, you know, in video or live. I mean,
2: that's the legendary thing, the part of the Kiss story, which was like, you know, some people, because of all the mystery, thought these guys were like like aliens or something, Mm. you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. people were completely freaked out. And, you know, you take it even back farther, and it seems silly now, you know, you think of the Beatles with their kind of longish hair and suits and stuff, but that was a contrast to the very clean-cut, clean-cut hair Mm. um, and stuff like that, and people were just like, it's funny because it's not really much of a big difference, you know, when you look back now and then Mm. think about Kiss, you know, how outrageous the Kiss show was. I mean, if the Beatles could go travel in the future and see KISS and vice versa and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I wonder what would have happened. Who knows? But the evolution of it all is pretty interesting because there was more mystery. You couldn't just look everything up on the Internet. You know, there you had to go out and seek it. It was different times, too.
0: Yeah. The I don't know if you're familiar with the band Ghost, but they are one of the few that have been able to kind of have a mystique around them. And there's still yeah. people, you know, on the Internet that are just – obsessed with finding out who they are and then telling everybody else. And I'm like, dude, shut up. Like,
2: this is the only <laughs> band
0: that, that's out right now. It's kind of mysterious and fun. That yeah. You don't know who these people are and what they're about and if it's how much of it is BS and what their agenda is. And like, there's somebody, you know, just, I don't know, there's just desire for people to just spoil it for everybody. So I, even they who have gone to extremes to hide their identity and do it are having a hard time You know it's really the people who really want to buy it and believe it are the only ones left that don't know who they are and i'm just i'm fascinated because that's one of the things that drew me to rock and roll as a kid and i'm i would like to believe that we can maintain some of that mystery and mystique going forward
2: well you know it's it's it's, you think about maybe going to see black sabbath and bumping into ozzy you know that sounds kind of like a an unlikely thing right you know it's mm-hmm. like who would that guy even be and the legendary <laughs> stories around him? and then funny you know funny enough when i was a kid i used to tell my parents like you know when i was a teenager you know and really picking up on the bass and and i'd say you know i'm going to i'm going to hollywood and play with ozzy someday and i did yeah. and you know it's, it's so crazy you know it's like uh and i like that i even got to you know would have been great to tour live with him i didn't do that i did Uh, Prince of Darkness which was a CD within a box set and then I went back I was invited to do more with Ozzy and record a few more uh, about five or six more tracks and then it came out on its own called Undercover and uh, you know I I don't know how exactly people always ask me how did you meet these people and stuff like that Um, it was really just from busting my ass and music you know and it really became about my work ethic and all that that got me to where I'm at, you know, and, and having some, I'm more of a rock personality, you know, I, I was a, a music teacher and I play classical upright bass and jazz and all that. But, you know, I'm a grown man, you know, so I, I've stayed invested since I was a teenager. So I'm, I'm really deep on my instrument. And that's what got me in the room with everybody. You know, they heard about me and I moved to Hollywood and they wanted to get me. And OWL was one of those things that was they'd go see me play the bass the way I did and stuff and they'd go ooh let's get that guy
0: so did you start on upright bass or did you start on a traditional
2: uh lecture well, it's funny cuz when i when i think <laughs> traditional i think definitely traditional is the upright yeah yeah but, yeah. Uh, but rock I, there's no perfect way to refer to this stuff really i mean i would say both are correct but yeah. at the end of the day the bass guitar really was my first instrument and is my first instrument you know How-
0: how did that happen? Because that's very right. unique. Usually you hear guitar first and then bass.
2: Well, to me, I was kind of turned off at the idea of picking up a guitar. Um, really? Yeah, I was like, ah, I don't want to play guitar. But I loved I had the idea of being in a band and being a musician. And, you know, was pretty obsessed at that point and wanted to do music. But my friends in, uh, in New York at the time, we moved away briefly for a couple of years and moved back. To my old neighborhood, and um, my buddies that I was growing up with, that I was away from a bit, were all playing. There was two guitar players and a drummer, and they were turning me on to uh, bass players and you name it, all kinds of great bass players. But I was like, ah, that doesn't make me want to play the bass until they totally put on Iron Maiden, and I heard like Number of the Beast, and I heard, you know, The Trooper, and I heard all this stuff, and I was. I was blown away. I just couldn't believe that you could be such an underdog type of musician and make it happen like that on the bass. And I was just like, that's it. You know, that's it.
0: Did you realize at the time that he was, Steve Harris was writing a lot of that material? I mean.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was totally, totally impressed by Steve Harris. Because like back then you had, you know, you're buying vinyl. And, you know, it was such a different experience. So you take out. The uh, sleeve cover, you know, you take out the album cover and look at it in every which way and you mm-hmm. take out the actual vinyl and then you had the lyrics and the credits for the records and who did what. And, you know, that was so special and the artwork and the presentation and to walk into the store and look for it and go, oh, my God, here it is. That was so different back then. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I don't know how we can share that with people that are experiencing it differently now. but
0: Is that something you think about with Al? Trying to trying to do,
2: I really love Jane's Addiction and things like that later on, where they really had a. Like, I was always looking for the next sound, you know. I remember, I remember like Dan and I were hip to the fact that we're like Jane's Addiction is going to blow up. We're like, oh, Chili Peppers are going to blow up. We were like, we were pretty hip to everything,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and a lot of it was California and Seattle and stuff like that. So we wanted to like you know we had a band called East Wall for years, and we were like. You know, F you, West Coast, we're East, you know, we're going to kick your ass. Like, we had this whole very ridiculous, competitive, almost, like, WWF mentality back then, almost. You know, like, if, if there was something we couldn't play, we are going to stay up all night doing it. You know what I mean?
1: Mm. So, you've mentioned a couple times about, about making the move out to Hollywood. How old were you when you did that? And what prompted you, like, had you played in bands and decided it was time to move out or what was basically the impetus for, for making that move, especially if you're moving from New York to Hollywood, that's a pretty big cultural transition.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, it was like a, it was like starting all over. Um, but I, I, I'm very blessed, you know, because I'm very world traveled. I'm very, uh, accustomed to traveling and, you know, I've learned a lot and the, my move to California, you know, living in Hollywood and uh, becoming a musician, a real musician, you know, it was scary at times and stuff like that, of course. But I was basically, I, my parents were absolute about me going to college. So I went to college and that's where I picked up The Upright bass. So I was still in New York at that point. And then I had my second band after I was with Dan. I, I had another band and that had a five-year run and burnt out. And we were just kind of toasted at that point didn't agree or whatever and um, there were some opportunities out in California actually within the Steve Vai camp and just connections and things for you know that came of me playing music for years and people thinking of me and saying you should go out to LA and stuff like that so I kind of knew some guys and went out and visited so that's in my mid-twenties right after college and what year? Band.
0: What year would this been?
2: Uh this must be 95 when I first okay. went out and so I had a run in New York and it's almost like uh that was one chapter and now the Hollywood chapter was about to begin which was more like international and gonna change my life was gonna change very much at that point mid-20s you know and I didn't know anything you think when you're 25 you're, you're growing up but really like I wish I could call my younger self up, you know, and say, listen, man, you know, but um, because you worry when your gigs fall through or someone cancels the tour or someone went back on drugs or whatever it is. And you think that's the last very thing that's going to happen and you're just screwed. But for me, fortunately, things keep happening, you know, so uh, I'm lucky. So
0: so you were in bands in or or you're playing music in the early 90s in New York. What, what yeah, was... late
2: late '80s when I was I got written up when I was a uh, just a teenager by Mike Varney in Guitar Player magazine.
0: I was gonna ask like that. when yeah. you said Steve I, I was gonna ask if that was the Mike Varney was the the path to Steve I.
2: No, it was just some other ironic you know musician that knew a musician thing mm-hmm. uh, that just led to me visiting and checking things out and realizing so... you know I could I could move to Hollywood and probably end up playing with the big shots
0: were you in uh, were you a session guy were you in bands what, what were you doing in the in the that sort of period of uh, the early 90s New York scene
2: uh, well I was a teacher I was I had about 40 students a week private lessons and I had again like my, a, a 10 year plus history of having bands that went around and played regionally and would do like mini tours and, mm. and we would get our press and stuff like that and we always thought we were about to get signed and and one band would break up, and then I had another one for about five years. And we, we really worked it. And I went to college, and, and still was a teacher, and, you know, I had a girlfriend, like, you know, a steady girlfriend. It was very full-time, so when I got to, like, my other chapter of moving to Hollywood, it was, it's was it been totally different. It's been more of a bachelor, world traveler um, thing. But that started with session work, and that started with people talking about, you uh, Did you see this guy at that club and you start meeting people, you know? And I did it organically. I didn't, there was no social media. So you had to go out in Hollywood, go to that rock club and figure out what was going on. That was it. And I did the same thing in New York. Um, Now you can do it with other resources, but you had to organically, physically go to places. So that's why I physically went to Hollywood and physically started hanging out and bumping into like, you know, really big rock stars. And in the beginning, I was a little jaw dropped, you know? And one of my early things was uh, Paul Damore from Tool, the bass player, the original bass player, started a band called Lusk with Chris Pittman, who's now in Guns N' Roses with Axel. And um, that was Axel's favorite band. And he looked for Chris Pittman and got him in the band because of that band Lusk.
3: Hmm. And
2: Paul, Paul Damore got me my first electric upright bass. I got a couple of them now. But this one's called The Messenger. It's really cool sounds like the real thing and i can put effects on it and blast it like a guitar it's amazing but um that band didn't have any success because tools sued the record label and we were sort of a brother i think it was zoo or volcano i forget the, whatever it was anyway um so that kind of disassembled and there was no more label money and stuff and i got picked up by tal bachman which was an artist that had a big hit uh, she's so high and i joined his band and did that album with bob rock and then things started really hitting the fan you know because uh, I met Bob Rock, and each thing led to the other, and then it just kind of, you know, like a snowball thing. It just big people were calling me left and right, and, um, you know, it's been quite the honor. I've been in all kinds of all-star bands with uh, Camp Freddie and uh, Dave Navarro's kind of all-star band. I think it's called something else now. Chris Cheney from Jane's Addiction would call me to sub in. And, you know, basically, uh, I've played with just about everybody through that thing in hard rock, it seems. And that was a great thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and just more led to more. And now I'm playing with Ace Frehley, doing a bass solo, singing Strange Ways and, you know, getting featured. And, um, you know, I was in the cult for many years, and that was a great experience, a decade, and then some, because I did a record before that, and, uh, and that was Bob Rock as well, but... This is the first time i played Donington and Sweden Rocks and in front of like 50, 60,000 people. I've done that kind of thing. Uh, but I got to sing lead vocals and do a bass solo and do KISS songs and A songs. And we're just having such a laugh, you know. So it, it's evolved into something different, almost like where I started. Because <laughs> mm. I came out doing bass solos with my first bands and I loved KISS. So it's, it's, it's kind of <laughs> funny. It's kind of funny.
1: Okay, you just flew by a bunch of stuff. We need to back up <laughs> a little bit here. Because yeah, yeah. first, we, we, I'm really curious, ironically enough, about the Tal Bachman, because that was essentially, you You played on what was a, a huge hit single with She's So High. She's blood, flesh, and
3: bone. Now tucks a She's touch, smell, sight, taste, and sound. But somehow I can't believe that anything should happen. I know where I belong and nothing's gonna happen.
1: curious about you know how does that change your life as um are you a are you part of the songwriting credits are you just or do you get a mechanical royalty based on the sale like how does that impact you when a song like that becomes a top 40 single well you see
2: this is the thing You, you you just like i've become smarter and smarter about business and i request things for myself more and more but there's there is some sort of mechanicals that come through from like maybe TV shows and videos and uh, yes, like still I see things, yeah. Um, because the song's spinning out there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I forget there's like a small percentage I got or something because he wanted me in the band and I was coming from this really cool band Lusk at the time, which wasn't well known, but we were on uh, we were on MTV and stuff like that back then. I was mm-hmm. it was like a artsy video, no one was in the video, but. You know, we were not We were doing, like, in Hollywood, we were super cool, you know? So they were wondering if they could get me, and then they're like, this artist, Tal Bachman, has got this huge deal, he's, you know, he's Randy. I I didn't really understand, but I got the gig, and then I had my upright bass, and I I can kind of pull the 70s flair that they needed. And I'm not talking about pants, but, like, a 70s style. And if you (laughs) listen to She's So High, you'll hear that the bass lines and the kind of melodic high bass stuff I did is very Iron Maiden. Wow! When you hear the the intro and the bass entry, and then you also hear the end of the solo, the uh, riff at the end of the solo is very like you know John Paul Jones, Iron Maiden, Uh, and it's major, so it's kind of happy and all that. But Mm -hmm. now, when you listen to it, you're going to hear it totally differently and understand why I I think the way I do and so on. So,
1: so Bob Rock was the producer on that, right?
2: Yeah, and that was kind of like a, a great connection for me because he used me in a lot of stuff.
1: So then when the cults Beyond Good and Evil comes around, or do you join that as, a, as the bass player on the album and then become a member of the band? Or did they bring you in before that? How does that work with an established uh, band like that?
2: Bob called me and said, can you come in tomorrow? I've got this band, ba-ba-ba. There's a problem with the bass player. And I said, sure, anything with you, Bob, you know, whatever. And uh, he, he said, yeah, it's The Cult. And I'm like, oh, great. So I showed up the next day and did it and just jumped into their pre-production on the record because the bass player walked out. And uh, I jumped in and really, to be honest with you, at the time I knew who they were. Of course, you know, they're, they're a legendary band. I knew a lot of their songs already. I heard on the radio and stuff. I didn't know everything about them. You know, and I just kind of went in with my my guns blazing, so to speak. I brought my upright, and they are like, "What the hell? This guy's got an upright bass." And I'm like, "Yeah, it could be great on something." And Ian and Billy, you know, they talk about Zeppy things and going in other places and stuff. But um, you know, I kind of went in there, and, and maybe it was a little too much for him at first, to be honest with you, because they they didn't invite me to continue. I did a tour, did the album. But maybe I wasn't a perfect fit. Maybe it was a lot of bass for them and a lot, like going in a and but Ian kinda loved it at the beginning and, and you can hear me on that record war and that mm-hmm. bass tone is clearly me. I'm using wah wah harmonics, delay, distorted upright bass like they've never had before. Kinda neat riffs here and here and there that they didn't have. And then you know, I did the last few albums, you can tell it's you can tell I did, you know, it's different basically. It works out how it works out like you have to be a very sensitive artist and try and uh you know help them out with their song not like show off you have to think you have to be smart and you have to be sensitive to what's going on in the room and I, I think i'm really good at that like an actor would be able to jump into a role but it took me a little time uh to get to know billy and ian and then i got invited back in 2006 and i had a I had an all-star sort of uh, fun party band with uh, Billy called Cardboard Vampires, and we did a lot of Camp Freddy. And all of a sudden, I was back in the cult. So, it you know, I'd bump into him around town. And he said, "Ah, we should have kept with you, mate. We're on to something great." Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Yeah, all right." So, you know, those guys—it's their band. I, I just really did my best to um, enhance it as, as much as I can. And uh, I did end up writing and doing, getting more involved on the previous records and beyond good and evil i definitely put my stamp down and that's how i auditioned for metallica they they like that tone and they heard about me through bob
0: again you skip forward uh i'm like in in the middle of cult land here so the uh, other than after kiss the Cult are one of my my favorite bands so i'm like nerding out here a little bit on on some (laughs) of the stuff particularly that record because it was just such a a big comeback for them
2: um yeah it was kind of strange for me um to not continue with them because they were, they were, you know, basically I think it was kind of heavy duty coming in and throwing all my stuff at them. I think maybe, you know, it was at first it was a little much, and then they learned me and I learned them and I ended up back. But you did
0: Born Into This and uh, what was the last record? Choice Uh, of Weapon. Choice of Weapon. You did those records too, right? Right, right. Did you tour from, basically, were you the touring basis between Beyond Good and Evil till the last tour?
2: No, I was the touring basis from 2006 on and a decade with them. So it's funny. See, this is the difference between Ace and the Cult, right? I'll come into town and go, oh, yeah, Chris, the Cult, how's it going? And I'm in Denver right now. Mm -hmm. And people will say, oh, I saw the Cult, blah, 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 six years ago. And were you there? (laughs) <laughs> right, and I'm like yeah. thinking, yeah, it was, you know. I, mm-hmm. what do you mean, was I there? I've been in the band. I was. They did a decade, in Ace, because of the bass solo, because I sing so much, because we're on wirelesses and we go crazy on the stage. No one's gonna forget that it's me at that show. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Yeah, I have to admit, Security I saw, and the I saw them,
0: uh, the, the cult on the, their reunion tour, and then the Beyond Good and Evil tour, and I can't, re- I remember. Billy Morrison was playing bass on the Reunion tour and I can't remember who played bass on the Beyond Good and Evil tour
2: It was all if, Billy Morrison and and I know Billy and he okay. would invite me into Camp Freddy funny enough yeah. like see I had no feelings about it except I was a little disappointed at the time that they didn't choose yeah. to continue with me and even Billy would say like I'd see him later and he goes I don't know how the fuck you did that one part you know and I'm like oh, yeah. it makes no sense that uh, they had such a what was strange for me was uh, hearing my signature stuff all over the album and then it wasn't there live. Yeah. Because it wasn't it wasn't me. No one can mm-hmm. quite do it quite like that. So um, there's a lot of little tricky things I did here and there. But, you know, I think they did fine and so on. But again, you're coming into someone else's band. In, in my head, the band I'm in is going to feature me and I'm going to get bored otherwise.
1: I have a question about some of the effects that you mentioned about using because as a, as a mediocre bass player myself for 10 years, um, <laughs> I, uh, I messed around with effects on bass and I found that like, for example, using a wah could sort of kill your, your low end, you know, cause it's filtered. What, mm-hmm. what sort of, Wah are you using and, and what sort of rig do you have set up for that?
2: I just basically have been sticking with the, uh, Dunlop white bass designed for bass wah. Okay. And It's got a wide swoop and it keeps the bottom and you don't have to engage it with a switch it's just when you hit it it's in wah mode. When you go off of it you don't have to turn it off or on so as a lead singer grabbing the bow, going in and out of some really tricky bits and and keeping your mouth on the mic and not messing around as a singer either. um, I appreciate simplicity like that. And I can't have the bottom go out, you know. Right. So um, this one has a really nice wide swoop on it. I don't even know why I'm, t- I'm talking about it because I don't think, I think they sent me a couple free ones, but I'm not technically endorsed by Dunlop. <laughs> gotcha. Um, you know, but I-, I run it through my Ampegs, you know, Ampeg fully endorses me, and I have uh, six of them on stage, which tower over me. And uh, it's the biggest rig I've ever had. So, y- yeah, you're not going to have any problem here in the bass at the <laughs> this concert.
1: and then what do you use to get like uh, distortion or or dirty like are you using um, a specific bass eccentric pedal or do you like I messed around with say like a big muff and Mm -hmm. that was again like I felt like I was losing some of my bottom end with that
2: that's always going to happen and you got to just dial it in a little different that's all you have to compensate sometimes um I use Sansamp stuff, you know. Okay. And, um, it's more of a Mesa boogie kind of saturation as opposed to the Sansamp DI. Um, and you know, the Ampeg just came out with the Scrambler DI box, which is great, and it's got drive on it, which is pretty cool. But I need a guitar like fully saturated one, not just a, um, you know, kind of rhythm drive. I need the full gas for the solos and stuff. And if you back it off with my, you know, lately I've been doing this volume knob kind of thing, where the distortion's on, and because I'm singing, less is more. So if I just reach down and hit my volume knob for the heavy part, then that's much easier. So if you back it off, you kind of get this half-dirty, almost clean tone. Okay. So I kind of play like a guitar player in that sense, but, uh, you know... I don't like really comparing me to the guitar players because I'm (laughs) full on bass. You know know what I mean? In the sense I've never played guitar and I've always played bass. But you have to, you know, when you're utilizing those kinds of effects, you have to kind of, um, you know, you can't have everything howling just like a guitar player. So in that sense, I'm relating to my own volume knob. And you don't see people play a lot with their volume knobs. You see some guitar players. Good ones should, in my opinion. Even mm-hmm. bass players, because you just roll down the tone a little bit, and you save a little more volume for a section. You know, it doesn't always have to be full open. You can be a little more creative.
0: It affects the tone quite a bit.
2: So. Yeah. It, it rounds it off different.
0: Yeah. When you when you approach, say, something like the Ace Frehley gig, where you're playing... Well, you played on... Did you play on the most recent record? Yes. Two songs. S- okay, so tour-wise, there might be a couple tunes that you played on the records, but for the most part you're playing, you know, established songs. How do you approach that? You personally, but also maybe even the band, like, how are you guys approaching that material? Are you trying to be true to what it is? Or are you trying to reinvent it? What's the, what's the thought process on that?
2: Well, I think you gotta do a little bit of your own thing and honor the song. That's kind of the formula. Okay. Like, it should sound like the song, but in a live show, we can kick it in the ass a little bit, mm-hmm. do some different stuff. So there's a kind just of a-, a little bit, a little bit. But if you don't see any kind of like flare from the guy playing and it's just like going through the motions, you don't want that. Mm-hmm. I would say like, I always throw in little riffs and things. I do things my own unique way. But of course the signature things of the song are there.
0: he ever give you any feedback on how to play the part
2: well in the studio i did a uh, the instrumental called starship yep ace had a little guidance but it was a collaboration um to some degree on the bass level because i'd come up with stuff
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he's very quick to go hey that's cool do it do that i really like that um you know and he's also like kind of um You know, it's nice. He doesn't in the studio and and on the stage. Even though he's like a you know legendary rock star, he's he's a musician. He's down to earth. Mm -hmm. Even though he's a spaceman, (laughs) you know (laughs) that's that's what I like about working with him. It's just very um, free flowing. You know, he's got the vision, and uh, you know I like that too. You know, but he's also a little open and lets things happen and develop. Um, you know, m- me, myself, I've been very rigid and wanted what I wanted in the studio. And other times I was like, I don't know, that's cool. I don't even know. Try that. So, you know, I, I understand both points. But Ace is really free-flowing and very creative. And uh, But he hones in his thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And he works damn hard. I mean, he's been working real. I'm really impressed with how he's working. We already got a bunch of the new record done. It's a covers record. Um, I've played the first versions of... Uh, Parasite and Colgin from uh, you know besides Kiss doing them, they're the first versions with a Kiss member, kind of strangely enough, you know because he wrote those.
0: Oh, those are going to be on the record.
2: Yeah, so it was oh, like nice. uh, Parasite's one of my favorite songs. Sure, remember, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so at the end of the day, you know, really cool, really cool stuff. Uh, he gives me some some space, and uh, I'm sure if we work on anything it's just gonna he seems to work like that you know the even on the covers record it was like you know we're trying to interpret it different and do things maybe different he knows what he likes you know Mm -hmm. and there you know you got to be free-flowing it's fun you want to throw the paint on the wall and see what you can do you know Mm -hmm. and um but it's impressive how he hones it in and still has a vision yeah so i get i get to be creative with it it's really cool
1: i want to go back just for a minute to you mentioned about the metallica I guess audition, mm-hmm. um, which is a part of the some kind of monster movie, which I think for Metallica fans such as myself and Jay was pretty eye-opening in terms of just seeing the dynamics of a of a band at that level and how they operate. Can you give us some insight into that process? Like, I know it, so it was Bob. Um, was he the one that sort of got you into the process? Or were, or is yeah, the? Yeah, okay. I was
2: the very last guy to audition. You know, there's that story about Robert winning the gig, or at least that part of the movie is. And um, so they're not going to go on about who I am because Robert won the gig. That's going to be the story, you know. Um, funny, I've told the story before, and I'll try and just kind of get it in a little pill form here. But uh, yeah, I've gone. I went in there, and I was the last guy to audition. It was I was Bob Rock's only suggestion. <laughs> and he told them that really, there's only one other guy he knows of that could do it. So I went in there and had a kick-ass audition. Really did well, and I uh, was flying back from Oakland to Los Angeles, going, "Holy cow! What just happened there? What is going on?" Because I know I killed it, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're not the little the little fast clip in the movie doesn't really say anything, you know? right? But I mean, I know I can play that stuff up and down you know with a lot of ferocity I can do that stuff on the upright bass and do bow bits over it you know it's like I got that kind of thing so that's why Bob called me and said look man you know I want you to come down and audition and I guess it was an eye-opener to them because they found out someone else could play that stuff and I could do more you know I can do little Paganini bits over the top if they want you know I was just like you know and I can sing too and uh, do all the harmonies so, you know, I had a great audition and I was there for like hours and everyone else was there for like 30 minutes. I mean, I knew it was different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was different. And I hung out with them, listened to the music. Um, anyway, I think I stumped and Bob Bob told me they were impressed. And, and you know, a couple weeks later, Kirk Hammett called me and said, you know, we're going with Robert. We've known him forever. Um, I'm less experienced and they, I'm a new person. You know what I mean? he was already in Ozzy. I think there's some good, maybe common sense to that choice, but I, I know what I can do and so on. But Robert's amazing and he's awesome. And he's such a nice guy. And, anyway, but that's where I was at the time and I felt very close to that possibly in, in some regards. Um, so they said, hey, you know, we're taking Robert. And this is the funny part of the story. We're going with Robert, so Ozzy's going to have an opening. Would you like us to call up Ozzy and suggest you? And I'm like, oh my god, of course, you know, so you know, from one thing to another, you're like, wow, I can't believe what's going on here. But Jason Newstead got it on a phone call. And then when I met Mike Borden a few years later, playing with Cantrell, Borden was like, where'd you come from? I mean, I should have known about you earlier. And then he got me an Aussie. Hmm. So my story is completely bizarre. I mean, I don't know <laughs> how this stuff all spun around quite like this, but... Uh, it's, it's it's real. <laughs> it's kind of funny sounding, but it's all just what happened. I don't really know how it happened.
0: In hindsight, I mean, set the money part aside. Do you really think you would have been happy with that Metallica gig?
2: Uh, I love playing heavy music. I like sweating during the show. Uh, I would have embraced it a thousand percent. I I don't I don't know if it would have been about being happy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> knowing when i knew mm-hmm. i think i might have been on my toes and and shredding to prove a point at that point that i'd be the best bass player that ever thought about having you know gotcha i, I don't think i was like oh i want to be happy see that's the problem with everybody they, they have a rock star mentality and they don't think like an artist um i'm not saying that's the problem with you but The mentality is like you make it into a band, suddenly it's just all gravy. And the truth is, that's when the work starts. Because you got to gas, you know, you got to do your thing now. Now, that's why bands freak out because the more and more they make it, the more they have on the line. Now they got to live up to what they've done, you know?
0: Well, well, I guess that's the the reason I asked it is because I, I don't know. I have the perception with them that after Cliff, they haven't really been interested in the bass player contributing a whole lot. And I just get the sense that. You're not the type of player who's going to be happy with that. Um, yeah, well, I that... think
2: Robert was involved uh, from what i you know, I don't know. I don't know anything, but yeah. I have a feeling Robert was more involved. And, and okay. because of that process with Jason, where maybe they didn't, you know, want it to go like that again, be so negative or whatever. So, you okay. know, I think there was good things uh, that, you know, Robert's an awesome player. I already was well aware of him before Metallica. But, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Interesting little chapter in my life, and uh so you know I went on and moved on from there, and then things kept happening.
1: Right, and if that had happened, you know, there's the opportunities with the cult and Ozzy and Ace. That you know that, that's the path not taken, possibly. Whereas, yeah, it's
2: interesting. I mean, who knows what's better? I'd like to just stay vibrant. You know, I, see, the thing is, you know, what happens when you get bigger and bigger and bigger? You know, what, what's supposed to happen? Are you suddenly happy? You know what I mean? Not necessarily, so I'd like to do what I want while I'm here a little more. And not worry about, see, not worrying about the rock stars and all that you know, is, is gonna lead you down a road where you're gonna have no career. But yet, it's kind of what I, what I need to do is more do OWL and just let that out there, you know, because um, mm-hmm. it's not about, I am never worried about joining anyone's band, except for maybe Aces. When I heard that Ace was getting busy again, I, I, I let it be known I was interested. So that was kind of rare, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't well, chase any of these other bands at all. I just, it, they all, I wouldn't say came to me. I would say they just kind of just fell together.
1: It, it seems like you like to stay busy, and I wonder if that Metallica choice had been made. You know, they haven't exactly been releasing albums at a lightning, play, lightning pace over the years. I mean, we're talking about since that movie came out, what, two two records that they've put out? I don't know.
2: It'd be different if they were working with me, I tell you, because I'm a singer songwriter and I've already put out three records with Owl and done all the cult records. And right, exactly. With, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. See, that, that's maybe, you know, as big as they are, maybe something they're going to have to deal with. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But I think I respect them greatly. And just some of their stuff they've done still inspires me to this day. And Robert is awesome. So, you know, it's just like, I just know too much about bands and how it works. And I'm not a wide-eyed, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young kid about it. I, I'm more right. educated, and I want to do it a certain way. I want to do it a little more my way now. And uh, that's what this owl thing is all about. Like, you know, I really want to throw down some scary stuff again. And uh, we just played A Taste of Minnesota, and I, I swear to God, people were looking at me like I was doing witchcraft, and, like, they were almost scared, and I felt like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good uh they look scared and then but then they're singing along very quickly too and we played the new song things uh excuse me things you can't see and that went over great and i'm just like wow you know uh i just want to do more of this you know bigger shows with owl and uh, continue on with that but uh, i'd be plenty happy going on the next few years with ace and owl you know what i mean
1: well, that'd be awesome, and that's a perfect opportunity for us to, since we're at the hour mark, and I, I don't want to blow your voice out while you're, uh, you know, working that, we can talk about some of the shows you got coming up. There's um, some owl shows coming up uh, mid-July through the end of July in New York and uh, Rhode Island and California, and it looks like you're playing with um, a band called Film, which features Dave Lombardo from Slayer for a couple of yeah. those shows.
2: Yeah, that's going to be great. We're really excited about that. We're excited about all the shows because July is our month of releasing our record and uh, we've got a lot going on, but uh, and performing new material is always really exciting. And there's some challenges live. I mean, we're just soaked with sweat after a show, you know. Um, but Dave is a awesome guy. I've been, you know, getting to know him over the few years now and... Uh, you know, we said, hey man, we should get together. I've got Owl, and you've got Film, and it's a trio, and you know. So we've been tossing this around for a while, and um, I played with Dave at the Bonzo Bash this past year, earlier this year. And he won like best thrash metal drummer of the year, and it was really cool. And he uh, asked me to play bass with him on uh, Stairway to Heaven. And then that just developed more, and we keep going, hey, oh man, we got a tour together, because you know, we're, we're newer bands with two guys that are from established bands and groups. You know, obviously Slayer, I mean, Dave's amazing. And, and one of those guys that owns that sound, you know what I mean? That type of drumming, that is his thing. But he's so much more diverse and uh, it's kind of the same with me. I'm not just like one kind of bass player. So we're both getting to express different things and we're getting to share the stage a couple nights. And there's talk of more, so that could go on through the year
1: cool and then you're out with ace right now i believe you're playing denver tomorrow um and then you got shows coming up uh throughout the midwest and then back in september doing shows um in the midwest and actually going to be hitting here in ohio is uh jay for me northfield is near mm-hmm. cleveland so um perhaps I uh, will get in the family truckster and make the the road up the road trip up to that uh, show. To, yeah. So
0: is the plan to put out the covers record and then just keep the road, keep the tour going? Is that the idea with Ace?
2: Um. Yes. I, okay. I you know, I think the, the basic, basic dilemma is how do we finish the new record? We're, we, you know, we're talking about that recently, what month and when do we go in and do it? But he wants to put it out at the end of this year and we this... work really fast when we work. So, I'm gathering you're going to hear something by the end of this year for sure. We've already got something we could play that kicks ass. And um, so his vocals, I'm going to tell you, are the best I've heard. It's not just because I'm in the band now. It's not just because, you know, um, really he's singing. He's focused. He's so experienced. I mean, he's producing it. I think there's a lot going on there that Ace is, uh, you know, that ace has got and you know it's 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 going to be unveiled and i'm really happy to be a part of it
0: yeah his vocals on the last record were really strong that overall really good. probably his l- best solo release and geez maybe since his solo record in the 70s so yeah. hopefully you guys can keep that momentum going and with the uh, covers record
2: yeah absolutely the main thing is, is you know i i think you're going to hear some of the best ace stuff yet you know, awesome. I think it's really, it's really in them still. So, at, Excellent. you know, for sure, you know, we want to, you know, I, I want to tell you a few things about it, but there's some secrets too. I got to let the Ace man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Well, yeah. we should, we should wrap this up. We're heading the hour mark and that's uh, plenty long. Um, Jay and I are, are both looking forward to the new Ace stuff and we're, you know, happy about the new Owl record coming out and, and encourage people to go check out uh, the website is owltheband com, I believe. Is that right? Uh, dot, dot, net. dot net. I always get that. Whenever it's dot net, I always say dot com. Whenever it's dot com, I say dot net. I don't know why. Uh, I can't I was, keep that
2: straight. When I was a little younger and inexperienced, someone stole it from me, so Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? But um <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> that kind of thing it just happens. But one of the things that i'm excited about with owl is i'm I'm telling you i mean i've recorded and done all kinds of great stuff with all these big artists and stuff but this music's really got a place out there and needs to kind of like we need to bring back like rock bands again that have some balls we really do
0: it reminds have you ever heard of von herzen brothers Uh, they're they're a finnish band that's Mm -hmm. really been embraced by like classic rock magazine and i think they're much more popular in europe obviously than they are here Mm
2: -hmm. that's a band
0: that reminds me a lot of what you're doing with owl so if you uh if you haven't toured europe yet and uh you're looking for some connections i I would what is that that name
2: how do you spell that
0: v-o-n-h-e-r-t-z-e-n brothers von herzen brothers Ah. they're a three-piece kind of eclectic instrumentation but it's you know rock bass with I think it's got some adventure and some to it, you know, they push the boundaries. They they do a lot more probably harmonies because I think all three of them sing, but Mm -hmm. I don't know When I heard. I was like, wow, it kind of reminds me of of, of that band.
2: Interesting. Well, I'm going to totally look them up. Thanks for the tip on on some new music. Yeah. And if you guys need anything, just shoot, give me a holler.
1: All right. Awesome. Thank you you for your time, Chris. You're very welcome. Um, Greatly appreciate it.
2: Hopefully when I was losing my voice there, uh, It didn't mess up anything. No,
1: not at all. There's
2: probably better bits to grab anyway. So there you go. (laughs) All right. Well, best of of luck on the tour. All right, gents. Have a great evening. All right, you too.
1: Alright, and that was uh, Chris joining us from... Chris Wise joining us from OWL and the Ace Freely Band and formerly the Colt. of the Cult and Ozzy's Band and Tal Bachman and he also Mick played Jagger. with Scott... He played with Scott Weiland. So, yeah, Mick Jagger. We didn't even talk about playing with Mick Jerry Jagger. Can- Jerry Cantrell, Neil Gordon. Can- yeah, we didn't, we didn't even scratch the surface. We could have <laughs> spent another hour, but he's, he's in between tour dates and I didn't want to blow out his vocals because he's got to sing you know bass yeah. songs for Ace freely so sounds like he's basically
0: be- doing two two tours at once so
1: yeah that's crazy that is crazy so uh yeah check out Dot. not.com as i mistakenly said earlier um that's it we are done as always if you like what you heard Please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. If you have an album you'd like to suggest for an upcoming episode, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com to suggest it at the request review page. And that's it. For Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig Me Out.